Let those who love thy salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. Let's pray. Father, I ask now in the name of Jesus that you would be our teacher in these next few minutes. I ask that you would be our protector from the evil one and from distraction and from the flesh. I ask that there would be an ear to hear and heart to meditate and receive. And I ask that a work would be done by the power of your word and the power of your spirit that would so galvanize us as a church in our mission that the effect upon the Christian church and the city here and the nations would be very great, discernible in the years to come. I ask for liberty. I ask for recall. I ask for biblical faithfulness. I ask for a prophetic gift to speak a word appointed for this hour, for these your children and for those among us who are not yet your children. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask at the outset what the main thing is that we are freeing the future for. This is the climax of Freeing the Future, a campaign we've been in for weeks. And so my question is, what is the main thing that we are freeing the future for? And I want to answer it with a a phrase that I've never used before and you may have never heard before and we'll take some Explaining the main thing that we are freeing the future for is another generation of theological astronomy. Now, that really is implied in the text that we read, though the wording of it comes from the newspaper this week because of the comet. Hayakutaki, which will be soaring over the North Pole this week and will be visible in our night sky as you go out and look at it. You see in Psalm 40:16 it says, Let those who love thy salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. Now, Comet Hayakutaki was discovered January 30th by a Japanese astronomer by the name of Hayakutaki, who said he really didn't care that it has his name, but is glad that he could help the world enjoy this phenomenal event that we're about to watch every night this week on into next week. The estimate is that it was 30,000 miles away on Friday, Within a few days, it will come within 30 million miles away. It will be within about 10 million miles of us at its closest approach. Uh, One estimate is that it is on a orbit that takes about 10 to 20,000 years. And so don't expect to see this one again. It will look like a smudgy softball. Perhaps, they say, as big as the moon 
on some nights, though not with the with the nice, firm external ring, but more smudgy at the edges. Now, this verse says that those who love thy salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. Now, the word magnified is an ambiguous word, right? You can magnify with a microscope or you can magnify with a telescope. If you magnify with a microscope, your aim is to make small things look bigger than they are. If you magnify with a telescope, your aim is to help small things or big things stop looking so little and to look like what they really are, big. You start to hear the connections that I'm hearing and seeing in this approach of a heavenly phenomenon that's going to look like a softball, not a softball. When we take the telescope and look at Comet Hayakutake, it's an amazing thing. A comet is not a star, but it's not a softball either. At the nucleus, there are parts to a comet. You astronomers know all these words. There's a nucleus. Now, the nucleus of Comet Hayakutake that you'll see in a few days is a ball of ice and dust, very thick, that's about six miles wide. And then there's this word called subliming. As it approaches the sun, it starts to sublime, which means gases start streaming off of it, creating an atmosphere which is about 30,000 miles across. So you got a core of six miles and then a subliming of these atmospheric gases created, which is what we see, which is about 30,000 miles across. That's their estimate at this point anyway. They'll know better as it comes closer. And then you've got a tail on the comet because it's streaming off these gases and these molecules, which is probably going to approach 6 million miles. That's the dust tail. Then there's the ion tail that can go out as far as 100 million miles. Now, you can't see that. You'll see a part of the dust tail, which will give it a kind of teardrop shape. It's not a softball. The only reason we know that is because we look through a telescope that makes it stop looking like it does to the naked eye, and start looking like it really is. 30,000 miles is a big difference between softball. The heavens are full of wonders, folks, and so is God. Look at verse 5 of Psalm 40. Many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders which thou hast done. And thy thoughts toward us, there is none to compare with thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. So the wonders and the thoughts of God that stream off, that sublime off for us to behold are too many to count. The problem is 
with astronomy and with God is that what you see in the night sky is so small compared to what really is. They seem small. Stars seem small. The moon seems small. The sun seems small. They're all about this big or this big. They're just little, right? What's a telescope for? It's to magnify. Not like a microscope, which takes a little thing and helps it be bigger than it is, but takes a huge thing, which does not look huge, and helps the world see it for what it really is. That's what magnifying is for in Psalm 40, verse 16. Let those who love thy salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified like that. If you magnify the comet Hayakutaki and show me that this little smudgy softball in the sky is really 30,000 miles across, I'll be amazed. If you take this little, this little oblong part of it that trails off and help me with a telescope and with a power of magnification to know that that's trailing off towards six million miles, then I'll be amazed. I'll be tempted to write a poem or sing a song or bow down. Will be. That's what the Bible is for. That's what God says we're to do in response to God. We are to magnify God. For most people in the world, God is unimportant. He looks small. He is about the same level of importance as Comet Hayakutaki. In their lives, barely visible. Now and then he comes into view, usually just in time to be criticized for not coming sooner. We don't honor him as he ought to be honored. He's not as important as the television, that's for sure. His book, the Bible, is not as compelling as the News Weekly. His company is not as scintillating as an NCAA playoff basketball team. Most people say he exists, just like comets exist. They're out there somewhere doing their thing. And every now and then they streak into our experience. That's tragic. That's very tragic and dangerous. It's tragic because you and I, everybody in this room, and everybody who's not in this room, was made to have fellowship with the living God and to see Him for who He really is and to count Him the most valuable treasure in the universe. That's why we were made. It's tragic when a human being stands under a light post and says, Wow! Look at the light post! Because it's bigger than... Comet Hayakutaki. That's the way most people live. 
enamored by the light posts of the world because they just look so big compared to the stars. It's big. Lights my whole street. It's big. It's this big. That's the way most people spend their lives in love with things. And God is a little distant, maybe a reality. And it's dangerous. It's very dangerous because John 3.36 says that those who respond like that to God have the wrath of a holy and just God resting upon them because of the indignation that he feels at the dishonor that he receives from such an offense. Well, what is needed? What is needed in the world then? The answer is that the world needs a church, many churches, who do for God what the 200-inch hail telescope out at Mount Palomar does for comets and stars. What is needed is a church that magnifies God like a telescope. A church that causes others, each other, and the world to stop thinking that God is small and to start seeing him for what he really is. That's what we need. And that's what freeing the future is for. Our mission at Bethlehem is to spread a passion for the supremacy of God, the supremacy of God in all things for the joy of all peoples. Spreading a passion for the supremacy of God is what Psalm 40, verse 16, second half of the verse, is all about. Let those who love thy salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. The Lord be magnified, or great be the Lord. Great be the Lord. Spreading a passion for His supreme greatness is what that verse is about. It's what this church is about. It's what freeing the future is about. It's what our gifts will be about in a few minutes. The reason that I poured myself into freeing the future with joy in these last weeks is because I love the vision of this church to be a collective telescope for the supreme greatness of God is what I want to live for all the rest of my life. That's all I want to live for, is to be a part of a collective telescope that takes twinkle, twinkle, little star and turns it into a God whose first baby step from here to the end of the universe is 29 parsecs. And each parsec is 19 did I say 29? 29 million parsecs. And each parsec is 19 trillion miles. I want to be a part of a family of believers whose mission is to be a collective 
telescope to help people see God. That's why we exist, folks. That's what I will pledge my money for. Here's another way to put it. I see Bethlehem as a kind of Christian Kitt Peak National Observatory. I know where Kitt Peak is. About 50 miles southwest of Tucson. Mountain where there's any smog around. And this huge observatory with 15 telescopes. The biggest one, 36 meters across a radio telescope. And all 15 of these telescopes at Kitt Peak National Observatory devoted to one thing, making little things look big. Helping people who with the naked eye, the eye of the flesh, can only see big things as little things, change their minds and start seeing and start understanding and start computing with reality and not be deceived that stars are twinkle, twinkle, little star. How I wonder where you are. But our majestic, huge, glorious realities that God flung out by the word of his power, sustains by the word of his power, guides every single electron in every single molecule, in every single substance, in every single galaxy on paths appointed by his divine wisdom to accomplish his absolutely infallible purposes for you. That's what I want to live for. That's what my yellow card is all about. A church devoted to magnifying God. Just obeying Psalm 40, verse 16. B. <laughs> Just one half verse is enough to live for, isn't it? What an amazing mission God has given us in this verse. Let those who love thy salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. God has given us, and this is a work of grace over these recent months, God has given us a clear, simple, focused Mission statement. And a clear, simple, focused mission statement is a powerful thing. If you can keep it in focus, if you can measure everything you do by it, if you get up in the morning by it and go to bed by it and go to work by it, it is a powerful thing. We exist to say Continually. Let's bank on that word for a minute. Continually. Continually. We exist as a church to say continually, the Lord be magnified, the Lord be great. Continually. What should be the continual, recurrent refrain of this worship service? What should be the continual, recurrent refrain of the way we talk and the way we pray and the way we live and the way we do missions and the way we do nurture and the way we do music and the way we do every kind of ministry? What should the continual refrain be? Answer, 
the Lord be magnified. In all of these things, may God be seen to be not as twinkle, twinkle, little star, but as the great majestic God that he is continually. That's an important word. The refrain of Bethlehem should be continually the Lord be magnified. Let it be, Bethlehem, the melody of all your songs. Let that be the rallying cry of all your gatherings. Let it be the meaning of your homes and the aim of your parenting and the design of your marriage. Let it be the aim and the goal of your vocation. And let it be, oh God, let it be the goal and mission of our church. Clear, simple, focused until Jesus comes or until we're all called home. It is a great mission. Lord, make us a church like that. The Lord be magnified in the city. The Lord be magnified in the church. The Lord be magnified in the nations. Now, this is not yet the heart of our mission. We're not there yet because there's more in this verse than verse 16b. There's also a 16a. And there's more to that mission statement than magnifying God, period. So here's the heart of it. God is most magnified in this church when this church is most satisfied in God. Your joy in God is the mirror, the lens in the telescope that makes God look great. So let's read the whole verse now. Psalm 40, verse 16. Let all who seek thee... Rejoice and be glad in thee. And he puts that just before he says, and let those who love thy salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. Now let's look at this carefully. We've got to see this. The heart of why I am making my pledge And why my son Barnabas, this little precious yellow card down the nursery, is going to make his pledge. Is that I believe the Lord has given us as a church something very precious, worth dying for and worth living for in this mission statement. It's a little different than we exist To magnify God, period. It's a little different. And it's a, it's a deposit. It's a bequest. It's a, it's a gift to us as a church. David says, let all who seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. That means if you seek the Lord, you should rejoice And be glad when you find him. God is a treasure. Treasures are sought. And when they are found, 
there is rejoicing. There is a satisfaction that comes into the soul. When you find a treasure hidden in a field, you go and in your joy, you sell everything that you have. And if when you seek your treasure and you find it, you do not rejoice, you communicate, it let me down. It is not a treasure. It is not valuable. Joy magnifies the value of a treasure. Joy in the treasure magnifies, magnifies. It's a lens in the telescope. Seek the Lord, Bethlehem. Put your eye to the telescope as it points Godward. Seek Him continually. And when you seek Him, it is a command. David says, when you seek Him, may you rejoice and be glad in Him. Because if you don't, you bring great dishonor upon Him. See? If you don't magnify the treasure by your joy, you belittle the treasure by your whole hum attitude towards God. Oh, that God would deliver us from ho-hum attitudes towards Him. Oh, that we might not put our eye to the telescope, see Him, and say, big deal. For then the world will hear, and they will say, that's what I thought. Seek the Lord for what? We all know One of the greatest seeking psalms, it goes like this. One thing have I desired from the Lord, and that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord to behold His beauty and to inquire in His temple. One thing. One thing we put our eye to the telescope for, that we may see beauty. That's why we exist. We are a group of seekers who have been granted the telescope of the Bible with the high voltage of the Holy Spirit to bring into view the ravishing and irresistible beauty. Of God. And in our joy to magnify it for the world. That's why we exist. God Himself is the main thing. He's the central business of our life. Not this building. Not each other. Not our mission. But God Himself. That's the word here. Look at the word love in the second half of this verse. Let those who love thy salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. You wonder where the word passion comes from? Passion. It's right there. Our task, our calling is to love our salvation. To love it. 
Do you love salvation? Do you cherish it? Do you treasure it? Our calling is not just to be saved, but to love being saved. You see that? Let those who love salvation say continually, do we embrace it? Do we treasure it? Love it? There's passion. Now wait, we gotta wait a minute here. There's a conflict emerging. You see it? Are we to love our salvation? Or are we to love God? Is the passion and the joy and the gladness to beat about being saved? Or is it to beat for God? Now the answer to that question, and a related question, what about all the the city out there who's not here looking through the telescope? What about the nations, the peoples? What about your neighbors and your colleagues at work who do not rejoice in God? What about them? And I want to close this message by answering those two questions and taking you back to verses 1 to 3 to do it in this psalm. So look at Psalm 40, 1 to 3 for the answer to these two final questions. Here's David in the pit or just having been lifted out of the pit saying, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. And he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Now, here's salvation. You see it? If you're a Christian here this morning, you've been saved from a miry pit, a quicksand of sin. By the grace of God, through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of him from the dead, and through faith that God poured out in your life, you've been saved for him. And what happens, according to this verse, when God saves a desperate sinner from the miry clay? Look at verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. That's what it means to be saved. When you're saved and you're brought from the quicksand of sin and put on a rock of security, you do not get down and kiss the rock. You kiss God. A song of praise to God, it says in verse 3, is the result of salvation, right? When you're saved, you love God. When you're saved, you don't kiss the ground on which you're standing. You kiss God before whom you stand. He's the center of our salvation. When it says in verse 16, we love our salvation... What that means is we love it when that happens. We love it when we are rescued out of the pit of sin and hell and destruction. On a rock 
many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. Do you see that last phrase? Many outside Bethlehem will see and fear and trust in the Lord. Our joy in God is the telescope for the nations. Our joy in God is the mirror with which they see the nations. He makes my steps secure. He puts a song of joy in my mouth to God. And what they see is the greatness of God reflected in the joy of his people. And so our joy becomes our evangelism. Our joy is our worship and our joy is our evangelism. And so our passion for the supremacy of God in all things exists to bring the nations into the fellowship, the peoples into the fellowship of that joy, which is that passion. And so the heart and the key of what we live for, what we exist for here at Bethlehem, is to be a people who are a kit peak national observatory for God with telescopes everywhere. The Bible, the joy, the energy of the Holy Spirit, all gathering God out of His smallness in our naked eye vision into His greatness and so rejoicing in Him that we reflect Him to the world. I'm excited about freeing the future because I love this mission statement. And I want you to be excited about it too. Let me give you some instructions now as we make a transition. I'm going to sum up what we're about here in these next few minutes in this service so that everyone is clear. The sending half of 2000 by 2000 will cost about $388,000 annually by the end of the century, more than our present $350,000 foreign mission budget now. If we pay off the $1.1 million debt that is on this building this October, we will free up about $300,000 annually that is now going toward the debt. And we will save $234,000 in interest. Our plan has been, is now, in this moment, not to ask you for three-year commitments, but for a one-time commitment, a heavy, generous, sacrificial, one-time commitment this morning on a yellow card. In fact, I'm going to ask, while I keep talking, that on every pew... Those at the end who have the little yellow cards that you're sitting against or that you can see down there, pick them up. And if you don't have one, take one and pass it down. Even if even if you do not plan to pledge anything, would you take one? I'm going to have you do something with it, too. So pass it down. If you already brought yours with you, then don't take one. I think we have about 10 in each pew. So just pass them down right now. Here's the unique part of this plan. We will not collect these yellow cards on, that is, we will not collect the pledges, the money, until the sum 
of all the pledges adds up to the total indebtedness of this church. So that you may be assured that in the week in which you give your pledge in October, there will be no more debt on this church as soon as the papers can be signed. Your money will accomplish precisely what you give it to accomplish, or we will not take it from you. Now, the debt in October will be $1.1 million. It's about $1.2 right now. We will not collect the pledges until October so that you have time to accumulate the money and so that we then know how to build our budget for 1997. The money that comes in this morning by way of pledge over $1.1 million will go towards implementing master planning projects which the congregation will vote on before they are executed. Every kind of gift from every child that every adult's biggest gift counts. I said this very plainly. I said that this card here that I have is very precious to me, and I would be I would betray him if I told you the amount, but somebody came up to me uh, before the service and said, You know, I'm so glad we put children right at the center of this thing in each of our district meetings and last night in our prayer time and I want to say again to you kids that if you're old enough to write, you're old enough to pledge, and you're 50 cents or $5 or $10 or whatever you might save up till October is very important to God. For this very simple reason, God this morning is going to take loaves and fishes and feed 5,000. He's not going to take a $1.1 million gift from anybody and do it. He's going to take your gift, and miraculously, through what he does in the hearts of those who have more money, do it. So I hope that all the young people, all the teenagers, and all the little children will give. We really want everybody to give in a yellow card. If you cannot or you believe you should not pledge, you can put that on here. If you're a guest, we certainly do not ask you to pledge anything Why don't you write us a note of encouragement and say, go for it, or something like that on the yellow card, or say, I'm praying for you, or say something about how we can pray for you. Now, here's the way we're going to do it. I'm going to pray, and then Mark is going to play for a minute and a half or two minutes while you pray and while you fill out the card if you haven't already. And then I'm going to come back, and we're going to take an offering with offering plates And you can put them in upside down. Now, here's the way we have teams of people with little devices to enable them to just see the amount so that we can count this fast. I don't know how many teams are going to be up in the junior room, but you don't need to worry about a lot of people seeing your pledge. They get these little things designed. But we've got teams of people that are going to add this up just like that while Tom gives us some really important vision here. And uh, then they'll come back and report the amount pledged this morning so that you'll know exactly where we are. 
Let's pray. Father in heaven now, bring your people to pray and bring them to pledge. May this too, Lord, may these numbers, may these sacrifices, may these acts of consecration and dedication say, the Lord be magnified. The Lord is great. The Lord is great over my bank account. The Lord is great over my college account. The Lord is great over my car account. The Lord is great. And he can do it. Lord, we seek you right now in these few minutes of final consecration of ourselves and of our pledge. Father, what goes through my mind as I hear this story is that perhaps in about 90 years or so, someone will be standing in this room bringing back a plaque and a sword and a pouch from the Manica people. And there will be 300,000 believers. And there will be all kinds of photographs shown of Jaegers and Porches and Swansons and Copendrayers and others who this year, I believe, will be called to the Manica people in Guinea. And so, Father, I, I ask you, I think this whole program right now is being videotaped. And so maybe that video will be shown and this prayer will be shown in 90 years. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, call out a people movement among the Manica. Call it out, O oh God. This blow with your Holy Spirit upon the Manica people. 1.7 million people do not confess Christ and are... Bound for destruction without faith. And let there be an anointing, O oh God, upon our missionaries. And let there be a blessing and a calling of thousands. And Lord, we undertake now to conform to the heart cry of the Kachin people to carry them and to protect them. To carry them in prayer and to protect them in prayer and in theological and in financial help. Lord, bless the Kachin people. Make them strong in the Lord. We bless you and we praise you for your work in their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. We're at $839,454. So we have another um, ways to go. And there are people yet to pledge and there are people yet to ask. And we've got between now and October to do it. And so I ask you to join with me in prayer that this will speedily be closed. This gap between where we'll be in October, 1.1 million, and where we are now, $839,454, will be closed. And we'll keep you posted moment by moment over the next weeks or week by week as the money, as the pledges come in so that you'll know when the two, as they move together, the mortgage and the match are coming together like that, and our prayer is that they come together now by October. Let's pray together. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, 
We bless you. You are our God. You are a great God over all the earth. You are worthy. These gifts here represent extraordinary sacrifices for many, and I bless you for them. I praise you. You have a purpose in the wait that you're asking us to wait right now. You have a purpose in calling for another season of prayer and another season of pursuit. And I ask, O oh God, that we would be alert to that purpose, for it is for our good. We believe that with all of our heart. And I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would fill us and strengthen us and help us. And Lord, would you gather together another $300,000 from people outside Bethlehem and from the people inside Bethlehem who were not here today or have not made their pledge or have not made up their minds or in ways that we can't even imagine, Lord, between now and October, would you do it, Lord? Just take it on up through the roof. And beyond, we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.